Thank you, Jason. My hands are full <clears throat> trying to get here. I'd like to put a plug in for the merch out there. My seven-year-old told me that, or told actually Holly Dalkey, uh, my dad will get me this t-shirt and this sweatshirt and whatever. And she's like, how are you going to pay for that? I'll put on credit. You're seven. You don't got credit. I see some uh, new faces out there. I'd just like to welcome you if you're from Carroll College and visiting with us. Uh, Come see me at St. Charles uh, first floor. I work there. So Um, if you would turn to John chapter 16 in your phone, on your, in your Bible and put a finger there, we're going to come back to it. My wife, Hillary and I watched this movie recently. It's called, oh, I got to turn this on. I still believe. How many of you have seen this movie? Ooh, several of you. Yes. So uh, let me give you just a short synopsis. It's a true story of Jeremy and Melissa Camp. Jeremy's 18 years old, and he goes off to college, and he meets this girl with whom he falls in love with and begins dating. And just as things are getting serious, she gets a diagnosis that she's got stage 3B cancer. To show his devotion to her, he asks her to marry him, and through faith, they begin praying earnestly and asking God, would you please heal Melissa? She goes through some surgeries and chemo. At one point, the doctor is about to perform a very invasive surgery, and he announces, the cancer is gone. Praise God, hallelujah, the cancer is gone. They celebrate in a very public way because he's a musician. And up until that point, he had been going to all his concerts and asking people to pray for them. Pray for her, that God would miraculously heal. And he has done it. And they go back to these concerts and they say, God has done it. Praise God. He's healed her completely. Jesus has intervened miraculously. And they get married and they begin their life. Six months later, She says that she's not feeling well. She goes to the hospital and finds that the cancer is back, and within a few weeks, she's dead. So it's a feel-good story. What do you do with that? What do you do with that problem? You have asked God to heal you, and he does but then he doesn't? It's the question that we have been dealing with, what Christians have been dealing with for millennium. It's this. It's the problem of evil. To sum that up, it's this. How can an omnipotent, all-powerful, omnibelevolent, all-loving, An omniscient, all-knowing God allows such pain and suffering in this world, especially for those of us who call him our father, and he calls us his beloved. God, if you're so loving, why do you let bad things happen to us? Or, God, if I was you, I would never let those things happen to me or to her, or to him. This is the third part of a message, a series, called Things Jesus Never Said. And so why are we talking about what things Jesus didn't say? 
to show the power of the things that he actually did. They're so otherworldly, so profound, that sometimes it's good to look at what he doesn't say in order to see the power of what he does say. And at the end of this, what I want you to do is be encouraged. How that we are, to know that we are all in this together, and that we're, even though we're living through incredibly difficult times, or your story might be difficult, that you may feel that no one understands and that no one has ever faced anything like you faced, that you'll be encouraged. I mean, what do you do, what do, you do with a, someone like Kevin Acey, who has walked faithfully through his life as a leader in this church, and he just wants to see his grandchildren? What do you do with that? So I want to look at what Jesus said about having good days and bad days and living through it all. So let's look at some of the things that Jesus did not say. He did not say, whoever does the will of my father always gets the best parking spots. He never said, if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to nail that interview and get that job because he loves you more than those other applicants. He never said, seek first the kingdom of God and you'll never get depressed. You'll have well-behaved children. You won't have engine troubles in your car for the third time in six months. You'll have great health insurance, and the hospital won't gouge you for, with ridiculous overcharges. That if you follow him, you'll get to have all the freedom and choices to do whatever you want, and that you will live your best life now. Guess what? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus never promised you'd always be healthy, and he certainly didn't promise that you'd be wealthy and that your Wi-Fi would never buffer when you're watching Netflix. He never promised your spouse wouldn't get a headache when you're in the mood. He didn't promise that your child wouldn't die at a young age, and that you wouldn't end up divorced, and that the cancer wouldn't ever return. In fact, he promised, he never promised, that in this world, when trouble and pain and suffering or evil would come that it would never find you. In fact, he said just the opposite. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Jesus is about to give. He's giving his final, uh, his final recommendations, his final empowering thoughts, his final prayer to his disciples to go out on a mission. And this is what he said about his own impending death. He said... A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And so some of his disciples said to one another, what are you talking about? What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they're saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't even know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, 
But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. And what is that you will receive? That your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and I and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So his disciples said, Oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Oh, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in this world you're going to weep, you're going to mourn. There's going to be bad days in the world. We are in the world. The world is an opposing kingdom from Jesus's kingdom. He says, when you're in the world, he doesn't say you're always going to have good days. You're never going to have pain, that you're going to crush it, that you're going to own it. You go, girl. You got this. And I know you've heard that. But guess what? Jesus does not say that. He never says you're going to be, always be blessed. The sun's going to be at your back. The wind's always going to be behind your sails. But what he does say is, in the world, you will have what? Tribulation. What is that? The cause or state of great trouble or suffering. So in chapter 17, Jesus asked God to not take, him out, not take us out of the world, but to keep, them, keep us from the evil one. But he says the world will hate us because it hates him. We will suffer because he suffers. We'll have trouble. It's a promise. Challenges are certain. Pain is a promise. There's suffering in the world. Jesus says it's inevitable. Welcome to Mount Helena Community Church where we make you feel good about yourself. So I want to take three principles from this passage, what Jesus says about suffering. Let's go over them briefly. Just three. Number one, in suffering, Jesus is our model. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Yet I am not alone, but the Father is with me. He's going to his impending death. He knows it's coming. And so through his life, through this story, he models suffering for us. He experienced pain in this world. God, through the person of Jesus, enters our world and he becomes a man. He subjects himself to death, fatigue, stress, 
sickness. He wanted to embrace everything that we endure. He modeled the way for us. And here in 1 Peter, this is what Peter says about Jesus. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Jesus sees you. He knows your suffering. And I look out into this crowd and I know some of your stories. I know that you have experienced things that I would never want to experience myself. Horrible things, sad things, devastating things. But Jesus himself experienced this devastation. Even when he's downloading to his disciples right at during this time, right at this point of time, in the other gospels it says he was overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and agony, offering up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, knowing the upcoming pain so much that the Bible says that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer great pain. Number two, in suffering, abide in Jesus. I have said these things to you that in me, everybody say in me. Good. That you, that in me, you may have peace in me, in me, abide in me. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says in me, in my presence, when you dwell in me, when you abide in me, when you plant yourself by the living waters, you may have peace. And then instead of talking about being in me, he talks about being in the world. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you're promised a pain-free life. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation. You will be persecuted. You will face hardships. You will have trouble and pain. A few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the sower. Jesus describes to those listening about those who hear the word of God and then how the word of God comes to them and how people react to them. Here are the groups. When the sun and the rain, the harsh rain and the wind come out, there are those who won't hear it. They refuse to hear it. They walk away. The second group, those who, when tribulation, suffering, pain arise, they immediately fall away because they had no root. Three, those who are choked out by the cares of the world and money, and they never grow. Stuck in the thorns. Fourthly, those who are fruitful by planting themselves in the rich soil of Jesus. In this parable, pain and suffering come to all the groups. It's here. The scorching hot wind and the, unre- uh, scorching, the scorching sun and the unrelenting wind is a promise. 
And so who are you in the story when difficulty comes? Maybe you're in the middle of a difficult season right now. You feel left out, overlooked, rejected, alone. Maybe you failed at something. You've lost your confidence. You're trying to shake off depression. Maybe you're in a hard place financially. You have health challenges. You have a child who's headed in the wrong direction. The pain feels unbearable. There's, it feels more than you can humanly endure. You're afraid. You're hurting. You're overwhelmed. And it doesn't feel like anyone understands. I've got back pain, God. Where are you? My migraines won't leave me. Why won't you help me, God? I was let down by another leader that I respected and trusted and followed. God, I can't trust you. You didn't answer my prayer, God. You must not be real. But in this story, those whose roots are deep when the sun burns and the wind blows, you stand strong because your faith is real. Trials and troubles, when they come, they prove your faith, not tear you away from it. Are you rooted in him? Are you planting abiding in the soil of Jesus? Will you wither away when the scorching hot sun comes out to burn, when suffering and pain come? Jesus says, only those who abide in me through the pain will flourish when they're deeply rooted in the soil of his love. Perseverance of trials make them stronger. And so Jesus never promised that your husband or wife would, leave, would never leave you, that you wouldn't lose your job, that your plumbing wouldn't back up. Following Jesus isn't about having the life the way you want it here on earth. What it is, is about denying yourself taking up your cross, dying to yourself to follow him. That is the alternative, the upside-down kingdom of God. In this world, you will have trouble, but in me, you will find peace. Do you have real faith? Is it a genuine faith? Because if you do, Jesus says, you will overcome the world. Thirdly, in suffering, Jesus will turn your sorrow to joy. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being is being born in the world. Childbirth is really painful, or so I've heard. It was painful for me because my, my wife punched me in the chest when I told her to breathe. <laughs> during the middle of childbirth, this is what my wife, my wife said, during the middle of it, you don't see the bigger picture. The only thing that you feel is the pain and the anguish, and you just want it to be over. But she has never said, not one time, that she regretted having the child because of the joy that comes after it. I am so grateful that I went through that. And on the other side, this young man came into our life. 
the baby is born and we see the reason that we had to endure and it makes sense. So why all this pain and suffering now? Why do bad things happen to those who love him? In the middle of it, I don't know. But if we're deeply rooted in him, abiding in him, no one will take away your joy. That's what Jesus said. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. The skeptics and the scoffers cannot take your joy. The doctor with the biopsy report cannot take your joy. Your adulterous spouse, your straying children, the political climate, bad grades, global terror, school shootings, racial injustice, financial disaster, unemployment, theological controversies, people walking away from the faith, unfulfilled dreams, the memories of your own failure, they cannot take your joy. No one can. And why? Why? So also you have sorrow now, but... I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. What is the source of this indestructible joy? It is because I will see you again. I will rise from the dead. I will be alive with you by my spirit forever. Your joy cannot be taken from you because I will not be taken from you. I am your joy. And that is Jesus' definition of joy right here. The feeling of good pleasure, good cheer, of vibrant happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is and not your circumstances. That is joy. Jesus is your joy. He did not say that you're going to live your best life now. But he did promise in the midst of pain and suffering, he understands, he's been there, and you will abide in him and you will have joy. Our circumstances will not steal our joy. I could share with you all of the bad things that have happened to me and how I have overcome them. But you don't need to hear from me because... I know that all of you have a story. And I want you to hear one person's story today. Wendy McGarrow, would you please come on up here? I want you to hear, I want you to meet this family for those of you who don't know Wendy and Jason. Oh, you're going to take that for me. Thank you. So, a couple of years ago, some things happened. This family up here, who is, who is this, Wendy? That is my family. You got to speak in the mic. I'm trying. Okay. All right. That's, that's my family. That's your family. And yes. who, who is that? Can you introduce it's them? It's me, the sassy one in the orange sunglasses is Sarah. Okay. Then there's Heather with the little bun in her hair. Piper's the little one and my husband, Jason. Okay. So ideal American family. Here we, are, here we are. It's a wonderful life. Great was, life. It was Thing, a wonderful life. Things are going along swimmingly, and you're having a great you're having a great life. And what happened? Um, when Heather or when Sarah was about 11 years old, and right she's in the middle the of one in the, she's the one in the sunglasses. The sassy one in the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. We found out she had leukemia, mm. and our little wonderful life just kind of shattered in front of our eyes. Um, we had to go to Salt Lake. She had um, leukemia. We went through treatment. She was finished with treatment. We came home about 
six months, she relapsed. We went back to Salt Lake for a bone marrow transplant. Um, the bone marrow transplant, she had a lot of complications afterwards. Um, she made it two years and found out she relapsed again right before her, um, the end of her sophomore year of high school. And we headed to Salt Lake for another bone marrow transplant um, where she struggled. Um, she rocked the cancer treatment, but in the end, she got a really, really um, aggressive fungal infection and passed away. Cancer-free, by the way, passed away from a fungal infection. So she had no cancer, and she died from a fungal infection. Yes. How old was she when she died? She was almost 17, about a year from her 17th birthday. So she struggled and fought for on and off for five years. And she was your oldest? She was my oldest. She would have been a senior in college this year at hopefully U of M, getting ready for pharmacy school. So... I have gone through some hard times in my life, but I cannot even imagine what it would be like to lose a child, to bury your own child. Hmm. Yeah. Um, could you talk about, like, where in this pro- through this process, wh- what were your feelings? Wh- what did you believe was going to happen? Did you, did you believe that she was going to be healed? Yes. You did? I had all the faith in the world that she was going to be healed. Um, From the very beginning, all the trials, tribulations, everything we went through, I always had faith. I always thought she was going to live. She was tough. She was strong through all of it. She went through it all with a smile on her face. She, I mean, in the end, when she was in ICU in the hospital and I was on my hands and knees holding her hand, I just always had faith that she was going to live. I always thought she was going to get through it. Hmm. So... um during this process, what were your feelings toward God in all of this during, yeah. during the process? I, I was hopeful. I mean, I was asking God to save her. I was asking God to give me the strength to, to give her what she needed. I was asking God to help her, give her the strength to get through it. But you didn't grow up in a Christian family. I did not. I grew up in a very unchristian family. Um, my faith has grown throughout all of this, through this church, it's been, and you it's started been attending Mount Helena right around that time. I did, right about the time um, she was finished with her second bone marrow transplant, and we were home um, here. Some lovely people reached out to us, and, and we came to the church. She got Sarah got baptized in the church. Mm. I got baptized in the church. Um, my other children, Heather, got baptized in the church all together on the same day. It was pretty fabulous. Wow. Um, so the process went on, and... Tell me about tell me about Sarah's faith in this. She had, I think, she had immense faith. I think she went through it all with a smile on her face. She loved to come and teach Sunday school mm-hmm. and help children. She helped um, our other children. Um, she, I think she always had faith. Anytime I'm like, listen, listen. I mean, you relapsed. She would be there with the doctors and. She'd, I would ask her, I'm like, what are we going to do? She's like, well, we're going to just do it again. You know, it was, I guess we're in a bone marrow transplant. And throughout all, she always had a smile on her face. She never was really sad about it. I think she was sad because she missed a lot of her childhood, and she wanted to be like a normal children would want to be, I mean, especially through middle school and into high school. Um, one day she did ask me, Mom, why do you think this is happening mm-hmm. to me? And I s- said the only thing that I thought about I said, well... 
said, I think it's because you're a strong child and you have a lot of faith and that I think God is doing this to you because he knows that you're strong enough to get through it and some other children might not be. So your faith is building and you're asking God, but then she dies. Mm -hmm. Your world is obviously rocked. What is your, what is your response toward God? How are you feeling toward God? Are you angry with him? A little angry. I mean, I think anybody, maybe not, I'm not speaking for everybody, but yeah, you're a little angry. You're on your hands and knees and begging God to to give her. You had faith that she was going to be healed. I did. And she wasn't. And it was a shock. I mean, I think I was shocked. Um, you have a couple of weeks in there where you're, you have to get home and go through life. And then afterwards, um, it was a shock. And I think I was a little angry with God mm-hmm. and why he didn't heal her, why he didn't do what I asked him to do. Are you rediscovering joy in your life right now? Yes, very much so. But, it, it, but you're not all the way there. I don't think anybody's always all the way there. I mean, I think when you go through something like this, it's a struggle and you work through it your whole life. And the scars are going to remain. Yes. Yeah. One of the reasons that... um, uh, Let me ask this this question. If you could, out here, give some advice, someone who's going through a really challenging time, what kind of of advice would you give to someone? Just breathe. Take time for yourself. Um, pray a lot. I and and I don't know. I mean, just pray. Take time for yourselves, and mm. and just be you. Be you. Um, so I'm going to give some advice to you guys. This person who has lost a child. One of the things that Wendy has shared with me, and I've heard from many other people, one of the things that does n- is not helpful is sharing platitudes or cliches. God must have wanted another angel. Um, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What, what are some other things that you heard? Um, she's in a better place. She's in a better place. You must have needed her more than you needed her. And when you hear that, you get angry because... I, I know it now that she's in a better place. I have a lot of peace and um, knowledge and faith that she is. But at the time, you don't want to hear that she's in a better place because you feel like, okay, the better place for her is with my family, with me, so I can love on her and and um, be with her and she can be with my family and live a normal life. But you don't have that choice. Right. And, and I know now she's in a better place, but at the time, that was not very comforting. One of the things that we'll talk about, Jason will talk about this after the service, but one of the things that is really important for people who have lost children is, and I talked with Jason after this, after the service, is that they're not forgotten. Parents still want to hear their child's name on your lips. Yes. It's been Sarah. Five years. It's been five years. They they don't want their child forgotten. How can you be there for someone? I love you. I can understand that you're in a lot of pain, and I'm here for you. How can I help? What can I do? That would be much more beneficial 
I know it's a struggle for us. It's a struggle for us to know the right thing to say to someone who's going through an immense amount of pain. But we can do it as a church, as a community, to reach out and love people who are going through the struggle because we would want them to be there for us. Thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. Thank you, Jim. Why don't you give her a hand? We have a hard time seeing the bigger picture. Thank you, Jason. So any great story, any great story, um, you don't really know the ending. But when the ending is revealed to you, or a piece of information is revealed to you, and the light bulb turns on, and you say, oh, Darth Vader is Luke's father? You gotta be kidding me. Oh, the lion is a picture. It's Jesus. That lion from Narnia, that's Jesus. I get it now. After Melissa's death, Jeremy Camp struggled to understand what possible purpose God could ever have for allowing the tragedy. He learned later that his and Melissa's faith was seen by millions and by one person in particular whose faith was on the precipice and shared with Jeremy that their faith made all the difference to drive her back into the arms of God. And that woman eventually became Jeremy's second wife. And through that, they started a ministry. They have children together. And in addition, they told this story, which has been seen by thousands and thousands of people and have affected their lives. Why is this happening to me, to us? Because we only see a partial glimpse of what's happening in God's bigger story. And, but when we do get a glimpse of the bigger picture, when we know some details, when we go back to reflect, oh, it does make sense now. Living in the middle of suffering and tragedy doesn't make much sense. But when we actually know the end of the story, and here it is, Jesus wins. He defeats death And we do it with him. And we know that Jesus is in the middle of suffering with us. He lived it here on earth. He modeled faith in the midst of us. And when we abide in him, he replaces our sorrow with true joy that is given to us, not only for our lives, but for eternity. See that face? We're going to see her again. We're going to see her again. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord, for your encouragement to us to face tragedy and pain and suffering and sorrow because we know that you are the one who did it. You went through it for us, with us to face death, but defeat death on the other side. Thank you so much, Lord God. You lived it here. You modeled faith for us. 
You've shown us how to abide in you so that we can triumph and have joy on the other side. True joy. Thank you again, Lord, for your blessings and your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and for his coming kingdom. Amen.